From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. Home to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's congressional district, San Francisco is reliably blue in every election. In just the past year, the city's Board of Supervisors declared the National Rifle Association to be a domestic terror organization. And the school board voted to hide a mural of George Washington in one of the city's high schools. But this is the norm for San Francisco, who in the past decade has also banned fast food restaurants from including toys with most children's meals, prohibited city-funded travel by local employees to 22 pro-life states, and raised the minimum wage from $9.79 to $15.59 an hour. And last month, President Donald Trump tweeted that San Francisco has rapidly become one of the worst anywhere in the United States when it comes to homelessness and crime. The homeless situation is so bad that there are maps dedicated to alerting the public about where there's human feces or needles on the street. The conditions in Nancy Pelosi's once great city of San Francisco are deplorable. They're deplorable. Kate Trinko, editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal, Heritage's multimedia news organization, grew up in the Bay Area and decided to see if the situation was really that bad and report on her findings. Kate's article inspired this week's episode, and after this short break, we'll chat with her about what San Francisco streets are really like. Also, I wanted to take a brief moment and ask you, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on all of the podcast apps. You can also find full episodes on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Share us with your friends. It really does help. Overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle? Looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters? The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day, plus interviews with lawmakers, authors, Heritage Foundation experts, and more on the most important policy debates in America today. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. Hi, Kate. Hey, Michelle. Okay, so you're from the Bay Area in San Francisco, and when you were home visiting your family for Christmas, you went into the city to see if it was really that bad as far as the homeless situation. Where did you start, and what did you see? So I actually started in the shopping district, the Union Square neighborhood of San Francisco, and that's because that's where I'd always, for the most part, gotten off as a kid. Like, I loved the glamour of there's an eight-story Macy's, and that was so much fun growing up. So I went to uh, I went the traditional route, and Union Square itself, there were definitely some businesses that had, you know, available for lease signs, more empty spaces than I was used to seeing. But overall, it was sort of its normal self. It was decorated for Christmas, you know, had Macy's is still there, yada, yada. And then I went a few blocks over to the part of town that growing up, I'd always been told, don't venture into the tenderloin. This is the bad part of town. Just don't get into there. And this time I deliberately headed there. 
And, you know, when you're 32, your parents chill out a little bit about where you're allowed say, to go. I was going to say, like, see you later, mom, dad, <laughs> yeah. here's where I'm going. Yeah, it was, uh, it was weird to return home after a day of work. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, and the tenderloin, for various complicated policy reasons, is the neighborhood where homelessness is the worst. And there, it immediately had a feel that was unlike really any major city I've ever been to or lived in. And there were tents all over the sidewalks. Like, there were never tents on both sides of the street. There was always one unobstructed sidewalk path. But there would be, I think, as many as, you know, eight tents up in a row. And then there'd kind of be, like, trash and belongings on the other side. And sometimes it was a very narrow walkway, frankly, if you were trying to get through it. Because I was, like, trying to observe, but I also didn't want to... um, disturb anything. And, you know, I wasn't frankly sure in what state. There's a lot of drug use going on in San Francisco, and I didn't know what where people's minds were at, let's say. So that to me was, yeah, I mean, just imagine, <laughs> I mean, more tents than you see in a camping site. Yeah. So uh, the Tenderloin District, is this, are there businesses? Are they residents? Like what, what, is going on next to the tents. So San Francisco in general is different than a lot of big cities in that there are not a ton of high rises, and this probably contributes to the high housing policies. So unlike the shopping district, the Tenderloin tends to be more mom-and-pop type businesses, nothing that I recall really recognizing, not really any chains, um, just sort of a mixture of smaller shops, apartments, people live there. Um, So it's a quietish neighborhood for a big city, I guess you could say. You know, there was a park. Um, there was a park on one corner, a police station, but still not somewhere you'd expect to see this. Yeah. And in your article on The Daily Signal, you also posted photos that you took yourself. And there was a photo of a 24-hour restroom. I've never seen anything like this. It's not a porta potty but it's not super huge either. Why are these freestanding restrooms there? Are they all over the city or are they just in the Tenderloin area? Yeah. So it came about because San Francisco has a real problem. And sorry, listeners, this is kind of gross, but with human feces being on sidewalks. And um, that to me is kind of crazy. And again, I just want to take a step back here. I've lived in New York. I've worked in Washington, D.C. I've been to plenty of other big cities. I have never in my life seen an instance of human feces, even in a big city. This is just not something you encounter. But San Francisco has such a prevalent problem that um, people call this number 311. They track it. They ask people to remove it. And what San Francisco did is they had so many reports of this, thousands of them. They have an actual number for people to call to report. Not just poop, but like anything that isn't an emergency that you need city services. But they specifically track you know, calls like this. And there's literally thousands in the Tenderloin neighborhood every year. And so what the city did was they um, they looked at where is the problem worse? I mean, this is such a terrible crown to win, I guess you could put it. And the Tenderloin neighborhood, and I believe south of Market was the other one, had some of the worst spots. And so they decided they were going to build three 24-7 bathrooms. And two of them I visited. I didn't actually go in. I wasn't I'm not a germ phobe, but I'm enough of a germ phobe that I was like, this is too much. And 
They have one to two attendants there, 24 hours a day. The reason for that, according to a San Francisco Chronicle columnist, was they want to avoid vandalism. They don't want them used for prostitution. They don't want drug deals. Like, they want them used as bathrooms. So they've got the attendants there to keep them clean, but also presumably to call the police or do something if they start noticing other activity taking place. And, yeah, they were not huge. They looked – I think they weren't actually – they weren't small. I mean, they're on a city corner. It's just a weird thing to see. And they also, they're, they advertise on them like, oh, hey, 24-hour bathroom. And you can also dispose of your needles that you've been using for drugs oh and your pet waste. So it's a kind of convenient one and all stop. Whew. Yeah. So this is probably the first time I'll ever say this, maybe <laughs> first and last time I'll ever say this on Heritage Explains. Do you think it helped with the poop problem? Did you see, did you come across any poop or needles on your walk? So to my surprise, even though I was looking very hard, I did not actually, I saw one instance of poop. I don't know if it was animals or humans. Didn't want to determine. And I saw one possible needle again. Wasn't real anxious to zero in on there. Um, I did come on a day where they were washing sidewalks and the city was under enormous pressure. Uh, Oracle, a major tech company in the region, had just announced that it was moving its annual convention to Las Vegas for three years from San Francisco. By some estimates, right? By some estimates, that's costing the city sixty-four million. That's a huge loss. And San Francisco had been fighting back. The mayor had done a press conference. You know, we're a world-class city, that kind of thing. So it's possible that you know, City Hall had kind of put down the order, like we got to get this problem under control. You know, they knew reporters would be coming. But, um, yeah, overall, in terms of your question, it appears the bathrooms are working insofar as the city is looking into expanding the program. I mean, I <laughs> I think that by the time you have people defecating in the street, you are talking about an issue that goes beyond what a bathroom can address. But it does seem like an appropriate Band-Aid to put on the problem at this point. And did I read correctly? You said there's just three. Just three that are open 24-7. And did you, you did, I saw in your photos, by the way, again, Kate's photos are really good. Go check out the article. Um, there, You did come across someone power washing the streets. Yes. So in the Tenderloin neighborhood, they were having power washing once a month, but that's not enough, apparently, for the amount of filth that they're encountering. So they now have it every week. I came across a situation where they were power washing a sidewalk, and there were two gentlemen who appeared to be homeless. One was cooperatively packing up his stuff, kind of quiet, didn't really hear anything from him. Another um, one of the men was pretty angry and he was shouting a lot of swear words and the workers were sort of spraying right up to the brink of his stuff and he's like frantically stuffing it into bags and screaming at them. And I actually didn't stay to see how it was resolved because it seemed like not the best moment to just be there gawking. But it was... One, I mean, just that the city feels that they need to do this power washing this often. And two, you know, I think homelessness, and I get into this in the piece, it's a very complicated thing. It's often driven by mental health issues, by addiction, um, all kinds of things. And I'm not going to claim to have a perfect idea of where personal responsibility, you know, begins and ends and where we should be helping. But it was interesting to sort of get that impression of, the homeless man felt he was on okay ground to be yelling back. And that, along with the tents that weren't going anywhere, right by a police station, 
really showed me that despite the fact that the city, I believe, um, in 2016 passed a voter ordinance that said, hey, you can't have tents on the sidewalk, um, it doesn't appear to be being enforced. So I I agree with you, too. I don't want it at all to seem like we're being flippant about homelessness. Um, I have a friend who suffers from mental illness and is homeless, so I have direct understanding of what it's like for that person and, and being empathetic towards those people. Did you see anybody doing anything to help? So one place I went to that I really liked was this church in um, the Tenderloin neighborhood of San Francisco called St. Boniface's. It's an old Catholic church, gorgeous, high ceilings, art everywhere. And what they do is they take two thirds of the church. It's a large church. And they allow the homeless to sleep there every weekday from 6 a.m. on. And then every day around noon, they have a mass and they ask people who are coming to the mass to sit in the first third of the church. And the idea is, one, they're trying to promote, they said, community, recognizing the homeless as part of our larger community. And then, two, you know, just giving them a place to sleep that is not cold. And um, that was something that was really nice to see. I spoke to an employee uh, of the nonprofit over there and I think the thing that was kind of disheartening is there are not simple answers. He talked about trying to help people when they're in a position where they want help and they have, I think his phrase was fire in the belly. Like they have to want this for themselves. And it's really hard, he indicated, to help them get out of it and do anything besides, again, I think sort of these Band-Aid things like giving them somewhere warm to sleep until they reach that point. Um, But, you know, at the same time, it was good they had a place to sleep. I think it was kind of sobering. I, especially when I'm home at Christmas, I can be, I guess, a little bit of a diva. It's sort of like I miss my bed. I don't love, you know, sharing rooms again. And like I, my dad and I have a long feud over what temperature the house should be set at. And then, you know, I was watching all these people who were sound asleep on these wooden pews, no padding, no anything. And that was a really sobering reminder of, uh, yeah, this would be a really terrible night's sleep for me, and apparently for them it's good enough. Yeah, that really does put things into perspective. I can imagine even more so around the holidays. Kate, in conclusion, what did you see that surprised you the most? So I think the thing that negatively surprised me was just how bad the tenderloin was. And I sort of assumed there'd be homeless people sitting around, which is a sight that you certainly see in major cities. I was taken aback by the level of just the tents, just the permanency of that. And People know the Occupy movement, right? Mm -hmm. How would you say it compares to that? Was it as many tents just lining the sidewalk as opposed to in one big circle of... Land? Right. Well, the funny thing was, so Occupy, I actually interviewed people who were part of Occupy Boston back in, I think it was 2011, and they were using a park area off um, where Boston's train station is, and they weren't blocking sidewalks, as I recall. And I think the, the shocking thing about San Francisco is they're not in a park or anywhere contained. Um, they're just on the sidewalks. So that was really surprising. I would say on a positive note, though... I had heard from, you know, a lot of people like, oh, I would never vacation in San Francisco. I would never go there. Obviously, a lot of conventions no longer feel safe having people there. Um, I'm a scaredy cat. I am not like some brave person. And I would say 
you know, I went to a lot of neighborhoods in San Francisco. I went to besides Union Square. I went to Pier 39. I went to Fisherman's Wharf. I went to the sort of the tech headquarters section. I went to um, the Mission District. I, for the most part, felt that like as long as you knew where the Tenderloin and South of Market were and stayed away from them, you were fine. There were occasional people asking for money. Um, you know, so I think everyone has to use their own personal discretion. But if you've wanted to go to San Francisco for years, I would say don't not go because of this. It is still a beautiful city in lots of parts. Just be savvy. Kate, thank you so much for your reporting on this. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. But Kate and I did not talk about all of the things in her reporting. For example, she visited the neighborhood where Twitter's headquarters are, and it's extremely close to the Tenderloin neighborhood she just talked about. You're going to need to see her photos to believe it. The contrast is remarkable. I'll give you a little hint. She was in a food cafeteria that offered a separate menu for caviar. She also talked to Uber and Lyft drivers that also had some interesting insights. The link to her article is in our show notes. I'm also going to drop a link to the Daily Signals podcast that talked about this subject as well. Shoot me an email. Let me know if there are topics you want to dive into at heritage.org. Tim will be back with a new episode next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher with editing by Thalia Rampersad.